The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week we look at Italy, where the government of Enrico Letta has fallen and the country is set to have its youngest Prime Minister ever, Matteo Renzi, who promises to be a radical reformer. But can Mr Renzi break the political and economic deadlock that seems to be paralysing Italy? And what are the stakes for Europe and for Italy itself? Joining me on the line from Rome is our correspondent there, Guy Dinmore. From Milan, we're joined by Rachel Sanderson. And here in the studio is my colleague, Fernando Giuliano. Guy, first of all, in Rome, Matteo Renzi's been talked up as the coming man in Italian politics, a future prime minister for some time. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about him? Why is there excitement about him? And second, why has it happened now? Why has he made the breakthrough now? Well, indeed, in the polls, at least last year, he was Italy's most popular politician by far. Young, energetic, dynamic. He sort of modelled himself on a post-modern, post-ideological platform, reaching out to, to all Italians. And this really did manage to generate a degree of enthusiasm in a country that is really despairing under years of recession, economic decline, etc., And in December, on that wave of enthusiasm, he became overwhelmingly elected leader of the the Democratic Party. But the manner in which he did come to power just over a week ago by throwing out the prime minister in the party vote had indeed shocked many people. And just a few weeks earlier, Renzi had even launched a hashtag saying Enrico, as in the prime minister, you know, keep calm, you know, nobody wants to steal your job. He repeatedly pledged his loyalty, repeatedly said, I will only see office through the ballot box. So by coming to power through this old-style party coup, it has actually upset a lot of his supporters, and many are asking why. Renzi's own explanation, though somewhat vague in in his speech to the party that ousted the prime minister, was along the lines of, the country is in a quagmire, a word that he repeated several times. We've got to get out of it. We need a new change of course. We can't go to elections now because we don't have a new electoral law in place that would guarantee a true victor. So I have to take over now. We have to be brave. We have to take the risks. But why right at that moment? One of the theories going around, or at least an analysis, is that with the May parliamentary elections coming up for Europe, Renzi, sort of out of the government but not quite in the government, was contemplating a massive defeat for his party at the hands of populists led by Silvio Berlusconi, the former prime minister, and the anti-establishment five-star movement led by Beppe Grillo. And he saw this as the death knell for his own political career. In the meantime, in Parliament, the reforms that he launched to the electoral system were getting stuck. It was becoming quite clear that Letta's weak coalition government would not be able to pass this new electoral system, which it was forced to confront because the Constitutional Court last year ruled that the old system was partly unconstitutional. There was also a fear that if Italy ended up going to elections with what was left of the old electoral system after the Constitutional Court dismantled it, then there would be a total disaster. It would end up with a, with a parliament elected on direct proportional representation and a mess even worse that we're in now. So that's why Renzi decided to act then. OK. Ferdinando, I mean, Guy referred there to the very bleak economic background. Just give us a sense of how much Italy has suffered, really, since the crash of 2008. Where is the country economically? I think it's fair to say that the country is very much on its knees. And this is shown both by the statistics. You know, industrial production has fallen by 25% since the start of the crisis. GDP is down around 8%. But even just looking around at the industrial landscape, which was really flourishing in Italy, now it looks much closer to a desert, really, with lots of companies leaving, 
For example, in the Northeast, there are entire industrial sectors, for example, the textile industry, which have just gone somewhere else. And also in the phenomenon of mass emigration of young Italians who are leaving the country in hope for a better future abroad. And you can see it by the record number of, uh, for example, young Italians who moved to London, where the consulate had just opened a new headquarter because it needs to fit many more people than, than it used to. So I think at the moment, the situation on the real economy, let's say, is, is still very bleak, in spite of a slight improvement in GDP numbers with growth returning for the first time in many quarters in the last three months of last year. However, the kind of good side to all of this, and some would say the mysterious side, is what's happened to bond yields, which have been coming down very nicely over the, over the last few months and are now down to very comfortable level, around 4%, less than that, which means that actually interest payments on Italy's very large debt, one of, the, I think, the fourth largest in the world in absolute terms, can be reduced. And that's possibly the only bit of good news which Matteo Renzi can really look at. Now, how long that will last? Well, it's a very good question, and it's very hard to tell whether political turmoil will eventually spook the markets. Rachel, I mean, you're in the Italian business capital. What is businesses' uh, reaction to the arrival of Renzi? Are they hopeful? Are they sceptical? A bit of both? Since the primaries about 18 months ago, which actually Renzi lost publicly and privately, a lot of business owners have said he's our best chance for the future because of the points that both Guy and Ferdinando have pointed. He's energetic, he's young, he's appeared to be busting through old castes and, and what in, in Italy is known often as the petrified forest of companies which have been led by now in some cases some very elderly men who have been doing business amongst themselves for a long time. Even before Renzi took the step of pushing aside later, there was great concern about him getting burned either him burning himself by burning out his career by moving too quickly or being burnt by other people. What has happened with him pushing aside later was there is a concern that he is, because he didn't go through democratic processes, is making his life more difficult. There has been privately some disappointments. Some executives who've been very supportive of him were really quite disappointed that already he seems to be taking the very political path of, of murky politics, which has already left people quite disillusioned who had been very strong supporters. On the other side of that, he's garnered its Milan Fashion Week at the moment. And the luxury industry in Italy, because it's a major exporter, has been one of the few that has grown, actually, during the past two, three, four years, quite strongly. And within the luxury industry, which also covers food, which also covers property and luxury property, there is a sense that Renzi is their guy. He has made a couple of statements over the last 18 months in particular. He's adopted this phrase of beauty will save us, which a lot of people involved in those Italian industries that invoke the beauty of Italy, the luxury, the goods, the good food, the good weather, feel is actually for a lot of industries in Italy is their future. And so they are quite hopeful that he, despite this, this murky political situation, the, the way he, he saw off Letta so quickly and under these circumstances, that still he's someone who can, who can improve the situation and understands the need of business. Guy, beauty will save us is a fantastic political slogan. But aside from that, what programme has Renzi set out? And given the difficulties that previous reformers have had, such as Mario Monti, what chances do you think he has of actually getting it done? 
Okay, good questions. On his agenda, he's already outlined his program for his first 100 days in office, which you know does take us up to those very important elections in May for the European Parliament. First of all, he wants a new electoral law just to have it in place. So if Italy's new government falls apart, there is an electoral law in place that will guarantee through a second round runoff system a true winner, a clear winner. He wants to set in motion constitutional reforms that will take a year, but they would abolish the Senate. They would reduce the powers of regional and local governments and make Italy more governable. That's a very important element. On the economic front, he wants reforms to the labor market. He wants reforms to the tax system that would be favorable to businesses to reduce what's called the fiscal wedge, you know, the the gap between what workers earn and what they actually cost in terms of taxes and social security payments. And he wants to really slash the public administration, which will involve cuts in spending as well. He wants to do all this in 100 days. It is extraordinarily ambitious a target, given that the previous government under Enrico Letta did set out on a similar mission but singularly failed. Can he do it? One is tempted to say at first he has little hope because basically he inherits the same fragile coalition that hobbled Letta. And indeed, even today, as we speak, those future coalition partners are laying down you know, conditions they demand before they will become part of this government. But there are strange political dynamics at play here, which perversely lead one to think that Renzi has a chance, namely in the form of Silvio Berlusconi, the former prime minister, now a convicted tax fraudster, soon to begin a a one-year sentence for his conviction last year, but still leader of Forza Italia, the centre-right opposition party. Berlusconi sees in Renzi the man of his own youth, the rebel, the outsider who shook up the establishment. He also sees in Renzi the man who achieved something that he failed to do, which is destroy the sort of remnants of the old Italian Communist Party. So Berlusconi in opposition is going to support Renzi on many of these issues. Why? Because Berlusconi's main task, main objective at the moment, is to destroy the smaller centre-right parties that broke away from his own Forza Italia movement last year. He wants to make them irrelevant in Renzi's new government. I think he's also banking on Renzi splitting his own Democratic Party. There's a strong chance that the sort of left wing of the party that is very, very suspicious of Renzi will break away. And ultimately, in a year's time, Berlusconi is hoping this will lead to new elections, which his rejuvenated party, with a new leader he has yet to appoint, will win. Guy presents Ferdinando a a complicated picture, but one that sees some room for Renzi. He might be able to do something. As an Italian, but now living abroad, are you optimistic at all that Renzi could change things around? Or do you think the forces he's up against, both economic and political, are too, too heavy to overcome? Well, I think the reality of the facts is such, as Guy's made it very clear, that it will be very hard for him to achieve very much. But I think there is another factor, which is, in a sense, this feeling which is widespread within Italy, and especially people in Italy who do not want to support protest parties like Beppe Grillo's Five Star Movement, that this is really Italy's last political chance not to have the protest parties coming and sweeping away the old system. Now, that could very well concentrate minds across both politicians, but also trade unions and industrialists who've been as much as barrier to change as, as the politicians themselves. So I think, I think this sense of very much this is Italy's last chance could perhaps help Matteo Renzi. A very important question anyway will be who he decides to insert in his government really. There is this question coming up over the list of ministers. A lot of people have allegedly turned down 
ministerial jobs, which is really interesting. For example, the CEO of Luxottica, one of the companies which Rachel was referring to, one of the big exporters, they make glasses like Rayban, for example. Well, he's, he was tipped for a ministerial job and decided to say no thank you to Mr. Renzi. Now, perhaps that means that really the Italian establishment doesn't believe that much in the man which had so much hope for. Rachel, a last word from you. I mean, Italy's never been famous for good politics. It's famous for lots of other good things in life. But the country has nonetheless managed to survive deep political instability over many years. Do you think that the successful business part of the country can continue to live with a political mess? Or has it got to the stage where the political life really has to start working? People generally seem to feel that. It's interesting. Something I've heard recently, probably in about the last six, ten months, is we're really tired now. We're tired of not having government delegations representing us in China or in the UK or in the US the way the French or the British have the Prime Minister going. We're exhausted by having to do it all on our own. You have set against that exhaustion a major succession issue alongside a lot of Italian companies because the majority of these very successful companies, Luxottica, for example, that Ferdinando mentioned, their founders came out of the post-war boom in Italy. And so they are reaching an age where they want to retire. They have situations, and this, this is mirrored right throughout the entire galaxy, as it were, of Italian companies, right down to the small and medium-sized companies. So there is a major issue, is what I'm hearing from entrepreneurs and from business owners now, on that issue that they want to be backed up. They feel in an increasingly globalized world, they are being left behind. They're too small to be able to compete now. It's getting too difficult. And the other issue is, which you've not mentioned, we've got a banking sector, which has been through two terrible years of recession. You have non-performing loans that hit 150 billion as of the end of November, which was an enormous amount. It's made the entire system zombified, according to, to analysts. And we see that on the ground and that companies aren't getting loans. And it's also because of mismanagement by Rome. The state has been unable to pay for a bad bank, such as we've seen in Spain, such as we've seen in Ireland, to clean up the system and get it invigorated again. So bad politics have really hit the Italian system on, on several fronts. And because of the recession as well, there is this sense of exhaustion that they really need a change or big companies are privately saying they are going to have to seriously look at even more aggressively than they have already moving away from Italy. Well, on that rather sombre note, Rachel Sanderson in Milan, thank you very much. Thanks also to Guy Dinmore in Rome and to Fernando Giuliani here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.